Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here. Welcome online. Good to have you guys with us. New Lennox, Homer Glenn, good to have you guys with us. Um, we're uh, just want to want to tell you that, um, that, you know, the 10 o'clock service has been a little crowded lately. So if you can move out of that one and move into one of the other ones at your campus, it would really, really help you. But I want to encourage you uh, to uh, be here every week in January and February as we get started doing this Quest 52. We're in chapter three of this thing today. If you're just walking in, it's okay. You're going to get what we're doing. Um, but we're going through this as a church trying to, we believe that this could be the greatest growth year for you in your Christian faith. We've got books at every one of our campuses. If you're online, you can, you can grab these online. You can grab them on Kindle, whatever. Um, uh, written by my friend, Mark Moore. It's just a way to kind of go through and get to know Jesus in, in the year 2023. That's what we're going to do. What I've been saying is give Jesus a year and he will change your life. I, and I really believe that. So week one was, is Jesus God? What Jesus shows us about God is that God is near, that he is love, and that God suffers with us. I mean, pretty, pretty remarkable who God is when you understand it that way. Week two, is life just random? And we learned that Jesus didn't just come for sinners, he came from sinners. As we looked at the beginning of the Bible and the genealogy and how God uses people to accomplish his purpose, and people are imperfect, therefore life is not random. And today, this week, what you're going to do, what you're going to learn is, can God use me for big things? So to set us up, let's talk about Mary. I mean, as we're just getting the Bible started in the story of Jesus, we have to start with mom, right? Young Benjamin was notorious for being selfish and kind of a little brat and demanding. And uh, so when Ben's father caught him writing a letter to Santa one Christmas... And it was just like, you know, I need this and this and this and this and this. He, he figured it was time to, to teach Benjamin a lesson. So he sat him in front of the nativity on the mantle in the family room. And he said, I just want you to sit here and think about what Christmas is all about. And then I want you to write a letter to Jesus. And the father walked away and the boy decided to write a letter. But he just figured, you know, Jesus, Santa, it's all, you know, all the same. So he said, dear Jesus, I've been a very good boy. And then he realized that was not true, so he struck that out. And he said, dear Jesus, if you bring me everything I want, then I'll be a really good boy next year. And then he realized, nah, that's not going to work either. He's like, okay, dear Jesus, I'll be a good boy next week. And finally, in exasperation, he knew none of that was going to work. He looked around, grabbed the Mary from the nativity scene on the mantle, wrapped her up in a towel and said, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> We know how important the mother of Jesus is to the whole story, but did she feel it? I mean, do you, do, you, do you imagine she thought God was crazy to pick her? Because I really believe so. I mean, she said, how can this be, right? And here's my question for you. Do you feel inadequate? Do you ever feel inadequate? Which is a rhetorical question because we all do, right? Uh, even pastors. Uh, week after next, I'm going to be at a gathering with some of the pastors of the largest churches in the country. And, and some of them are my friends, you know, because I get a chance to do this from time to time. But some of them are just people that I, you know, really admire. They're people whose stuff that I have taught to you because I thought it was so good. They're, some of them are people that my staff listen to more than they listen to me. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I don't really blame them. I mean, you know, Bill Brown, 
my, uh, my wingman, my executive pastor, he has a man crush on Andy Stanley. I'm just telling you. I mean, it's like Andy Stanley this and Andy Stanley that, and he's going to be there, you know? And I have that kind of respect too. And, and I was with this group last year, and here's what's interesting. You know, you get a bunch of people together, and no matter what, everybody feels a little bit inadequate and a little insecure. And then what happens is, you know, it's easy to start trying to make yourself look bigger or better than you really are. So what they did at this gathering last year was so great. They said, okay, here's the rules. No social media. And the answer to every question is about a thousand. How many people do you have in your church? About a thousand. How many followers do you have on social media? About a thousand. How many times do you get up to go to the bathroom at night? About a thousand. Every answer is about a thousand. That way it just kind of takes everything off the table and we can all just relax and, and, and get to know each other and do what we're there to do. The truth is that all of us have a feeling of inadequacy from time to time, okay? This is what causes some people to be workaholics. It causes some of us to have unrealistic expectations of other people. Uh, that feeling of not being good enough or successful enough uh, gives us anxiety that affects every relationship we have. So imagine that you are a teenage girl, which is, you know, tough enough as it is, and God tells you that you're going to be the mother of God's son. You're going to raise the promised Messiah. Talk about feeling inadequate. But here's what we're going to learn from Mary. In spite of her feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, she shows us how to do big things for God. We don't really know that much about Mary. We don't know anything about her life before the angel shows up. We don't know how she raised Jesus. We don't know when she died. We don't know where she died. All we know is that she's a young teenager that's chosen by God. But I worry, um, especially because of the emphasis on Mary that many of you grew up with and the emphasis on um, her uh, immaculate conception, on her perfection, on her virginity, that you will think that God only uses people that, that are like perfect, right? And virginity brings a sense of innocence and purity. And that's where this gets dangerous. And I want you to understand that that did not give her an earned holiness that God used her, so that God used her and, and, and gave her a miracle. It was, it was unheard of for any girl that age to not be a virgin, okay, back in those days. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that Mary was perfect. Let me just address this. Uh, the immaculate conception that a lot of you grew up with, the tradition that Mary was perfect, um, didn't start until the 12th century. And it was not added by papal decree until 1854. So you just need to know that. And she did not remain a virgin because Jesus had brothers and sisters named in the Bible, including James, who wrote the book of James in the Bible. Okay? She couldn't have been perfect. She had kids. <laughs> Can I get an amen, right? I mean, even Jesus didn't try to pull that off. He, he didn't even have kids. Okay? Can God use me for big things? Here's the question. In the, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, I'll explain all this, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. We don't know exactly how Elizabeth is related, probably an aunt or, or whatever. We know that they are related, but, but she is probably old enough to be Mary's grandmother, if you think about it, okay? Luke tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both very old and had never been able to have children. And that's important to the story. So when Zechariah is chosen to serve at the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, Elizabeth, your wife, will become pregnant with the son, John the Baptist. 
And Zechariah laughs. And so the angel says, well, okay, you're not going to talk from now until the baby is born. And he comes out of the temple and he he can't talk because he's been struck dumb by the angel who didn't think it was funny that Zechariah would laugh at that miracle. But the miracle happened anyway. And it says that Mary is from Nazareth. Now, this is important too, because as a city, it had a reputation for being rather insignificant. And I thought about trying to use a modern day analogy, you know, like this city or that city. And then some of you are going to be from there and you're going to be mad at me and send me emails. So never mind. But you understand what I'm saying. Nazareth was in Galilee, which was a Gentile settled region. And the Pharisees looked down on it. So when Philip, the disciple, informs Nathaniel, his brother, that he has found Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel responds, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's the kind of reputation it has. And Matthew says, in Matthew 2.23, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, you want to know something interesting? The Old Testament doesn't say he would be called a Nazarene. Old Testament critics like to say that, that you know, well, that's a, that's a mistake, except it does say that he would be despised, that Jesus would be despised and he would be lowly, he, that there would be nothing about him that would make him attractive to draw people in. In other words, the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah was not going to come and be this gregarious, beautiful social influencer from the right side of the tracks. He was going to be a plain old guy from a plain old place. So what scholars believe Matthew is saying that he would be called a Nazarene is that Nazarene was literally at that, in that moment, kind of like calling somebody, I mean, scholars don't say this, but I'll go with this one, a redneck, okay? It's kind of like, he's he's just a Nazarene, you know, Jeff Foxworthy doing his little bits about you might be a Nazarene. I mean, that was kind of what the whole thing was. He was a blue collar worker. Uh, Joseph, I mean, Jesus was a redneck, right? He's a, he's a blue collar worker without much money from the wrong part of the country, at least to the religious elite of the day. I don't know if Joseph had a car jacked up in the front yard or a transmission in the bathtub, but you, you get the idea, okay? So God, that's what's so significant about this. God sends the, ga- the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And in the Greek, this phrase highly favored means she's already been favored. Okay. This is not based on something else she has done or something she will do. But, but the point here is it should be a bit surprising because if you were in that town and that day, in that moment, the two words that you would use to describe Mary would not be highly favored, right? Not from a worldly perspective. Teenage girl, nowhere town, engaged to a poor laborer, but God highly favors those the world completely overlooks sometimes. What did Mary think about it? She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary's reaction wasn't, no kidding, that's fantastic news. I can't wait to tell my fiance, Joseph, that I'm pregnant right now. 
She didn't respond, oh, well, that's great. I always knew I was destined for greatness. No, it says she was greatly troubled. She was confused because when the news gets out that she's pregnant out of wedlock, according to Jewish law, she could be stoned to death, although that didn't happen very often, but she would certainly face divorce, which meant that if Joseph doesn't buy this, her life is probably over. Nobody's going to marry her. And in that day, a woman has very little ability to do anything for themselves. Do not be afraid of all that stuff, Mary. You have found favor with God. So what Mary is for us, and this is our main thought this week in Quest 52, is that the impact of your life is not determined by your ability or your history. It's determined by God's call on your life. It's not determined by your ability or your history. It's determined by God's call on your life. Look at what the angel says is going to happen to this frightened, insignificant teenage girl from a map-dot town that no one respects. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. I'll say this again. I said it in week one. There are a lot of people who say that Jesus was just a prophet or a miracle worker or a good teacher, but that's not what the claim is. He will be great, the son of the most high. His kingdom will never end, okay? That's not a great teacher. That's the son of God. And listen to what the angel says. This is what Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. Do you get that? No word from God will ever fail. That's what some of you need to hear today. I understand that. Because the truth is you're trying hard to hold on to a faith right now. And you came to church hoping that God would speak to you. And what I've learned over the years, I mean, it kind of goes back to the video we had at the beginning of the service. I don't think my job is here just to speak to you. I don't believe that my job is, is just to, to preach a sermon and try to give you some parts of, of God's word in your life. I believe my job is helping God have a moment with you. And I think there's something about being in here and being away from everything else that, that gives us time for that to happen. And I've learned that God speaks to us in this setting. I don't know what he's saying to you, but if you get the distractions out, here's a word I know you need. No word from God will ever fail. And Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And of course, now we know that it was all wonderful. But she didn't know that. And I wonder how often we misdiagnose the things that happen in our lives, you know? I mean, some things are just bad. The world is broken. Don't interpret this as God has a purpose for everything bad that's happening in your life because he didn't cause it. 
He causes the sun to rise on the wicked and the good. It, it is the way the world is working. That's what the Bible says. But some things at first look bad, and then we realize later that they're good, right? I mean, wanted that job and didn't get it, and then got that one. Wanted that guy or that girl, and that didn't happen, but things were better later on. Got a health problem you go in for and find out that something else is really wrong, right? And and sometimes a no from God is just the right answer, even when we don't know it at all. I heard one guy talking about how when he was a child, he would ask God every day, he would pray with all of his heart that God would give him the amazing gift his uncle had of being able to take his teeth out of his mouth at night and put them in a glass of water. He just really, really wanted that. And God said no, because sometimes God knows best. And here's what we learned from Mary, okay? Your inadequacy is God's greatest opportunity. Mary felt inadequate on God's calling on her life. This is not how she thought her story was gonna go. She's scared for what her future is going to mean. She knows she's going to face embarrassment and humiliation and people are gonna talk behind her back. And really, what is she gonna say? Oh no, I didn't do anything wrong. This baby's from God. I mean, I'm sure she tried that a few times and just finally gave up because it was really worse than just letting everybody assume that she had done something wrong. And most of us want God to use us. Here's what I wanna say, but we want to win for God, right? We don't wanna lose for God. I wanna be the guy in the end zone with a football under one arm and you know my finger pointed up to God for letting me have a touchdown, way to go, you know? Or I wanna be the kicker for Dallas thanking God I finally made an extra point, you know? Whatever it is, but, but there are times when God says, I'm gonna leverage your weakness. I'm going to leverage your inadequacy, your inability, your lack of opportunity. I'm gonna leverage what some people might think of as failure in your life so that everybody knows that it's me and not you. How about you get craned behind the line of scrimmage and you, you go, okay. Isn't it true that when you meet someone who has gone through suffering and now they are on the other side of loss and tragedy and their faith in God is stronger now than it was before, doesn't that do more for your faith than all the fakers, posers out there who act like they have their life all together? So what do we learn from Mary on how to do this, okay? Main point from your reading, is the impact of your life is not determined by your ability or your history. It's determined by God's call on your life. All right, it's not determined by your ability or your history. It's determined by God's call on your life. If God calls you to a task, he will provide what you need to accomplish it. Or let me say it this way, God will give you a reason to believe, and a relationship to sustain, okay? Whenever there is a gap between our past and God's calling, our biography and God's vision, we need these two things. A reason to believe, okay? A reason to believe. What does God give to Mary? Have you ever think about this? Because I really haven't that much before. What does God give to Mary? Hey, you're gonna have a supernatural baby. Oh, and by the way, your cousin, your aunt, your whatever 
is also having a supernatural baby, right? Another miraculous birth. Elizabeth, in her old age, is going to conceive. So what does Mary do? Immediately, she goes 70 miles to Judea and spends the next few months with this other miracle person, right? So that she can see what God is doing and believe what God is doing in her. And you look at God's faithfulness past your current situation. If you look back to what he's brought you through, if you see what he's done in other people, how do you, how have you seen God working and moving? For me, if I don't look for it, I will completely miss it. I mean, John the Baptist, this little baby that's, you know, six months in the womb right now, he's the guy who's been out there preaching. Hey, everybody, this is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of God. And then he gets arrested and he gets into, into prison and he starts to have doubts. And he, and he sends his disciples. It's hilarious, really. And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one? I mean, he baptized Jesus. He knows he's the one, but he starts to have doubts. And this is a great passage for us. Even John the Baptist had doubts. And Jesus doesn't even really answer the question. He answers it with this proof. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, I've given you a reason to believe and you know it already and and, and you've seen all these things and people are telling you and you know it, you just need to check back a little bit, you just need to think about the fact that you know that I am the right one. And a relationship to sustain. Okay, a, a reason and a relationship. She goes to Elizabeth, not only for proof of the miracle, but she spends the next few months with Elizabeth so that she can believe what God is doing in her and have a relationship with somebody that God is doing something through. Because you can go through a lot of hard times when you know that you're not alone, right? When you have someone to walk it through with you. This is why we're doing serving signups today. Nothing will help you more than helping somebody else. I mean, think about this for a second. Elizabeth is six months pregnant when Mary shows up. Let me ask you women here. If you went to visit a, a woman who was six months pregnant and you stay there for the rest of the pregnancy, you're gonna either help the woman or you're gonna be the rudest guest since Clark Griswold's cousin showed up with his RV, right? You're going to work your tail off helping this poor woman with a basketball in her belly survive her last trimester. Somehow I can't see Mary sitting around eating bonbons on Elizabeth's couch watching Jerry Springer while the woman who is too old to have kids anyway is pregnant and is waiting on her. Elizabeth, you're not doing anything. Could you bring me my stogies? I mean, can you imagine that? I believe one of the ways that Mary coped with her tough times was by helping someone else through theirs. She got her mind off of herself by helping someone else. 
And if you're going through tough times of your own, there's nothing better that you can do than serve somebody else. You've got recruitment card in front of you, okay? Whatever campus that you're at. And there are plenty of places that God is asking you to serve others. And maybe you think you're not qualified or that you can't contribute or that you're inadequate. But look at Mary. God will use you. And let me show you Mary's response again. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. She's believing that God's word would come true. She knows that this could be the end of her marriage. She knows that it will be mockery in the village. She knows that it's going to be a difficult road to follow. But if you can say, okay, may it be to me, that's an open door for God to use you. When you surrender your will to God, that's when he does big things for you and big things with you. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have spoken. And Mary went from being one of the most challenged people to ever walk the face of the earth to being one of the most blessed and honored people. I guarantee you right now, she is very happy that she faced all these challenges and let God get her through it. It just wasn't easy back then. So my question for you is, do you believe that God can really do this? Do you believe God can save your marriage? Do you believe that God can bless your income when you trust him? Do you believe that God can break your addiction? How can he save your soul? Come on. I mean, the angel said, I came from God. I think that's the most important part. What part of I came from God don't you understand? And before you say, again, I know because of your background, a lot of you are going to say, yeah, but I'm not Mary. Here is something that you need to know. I discovered that the verb translated highly favored is only used two times in the whole Bible. One of them is for Mary, and one of them is for you. The Apostle Paul said, you, as he's writing to the church, as he's writing to us as believers, you are highly favored by the grace he has freely given Yeah, she was a special girl chosen to do one of the most important things in human history, provide a place for the Son of God, raise the Son of God. But you and I are also highly favored. How do we put ourselves in a place where we receive God's favor? Again, by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It's that simple. And she didn't get to see the end of the story for another really 34 more years. But she did get to see it. A couple of my favorite scriptures about Mary are in Acts 1, the beginning of the church. We don't know much about Joseph. Most scholars believe he probably passed away at some point along the way because we don't hear from him ever again after Jesus is 12. But we hear about Mary. After Jesus said this, he was taken up from their very eyes. This is his ascension after the resurrection. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And those present were Peter, John, James, a bunch of other people, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I mean, the whole time, people are like, oh, he's not the son of God. Oh, come on, Mary. We're not believing your story. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, he really is. And at one point, the brothers and sisters don't really even believe in him either. And she keeps believing. And then she sees him crucified on a cross. 
And she thinks, God, what was this angel thing all about? I'm confused. And then she's at the empty tomb. And then she understands it. And then she's there when Jesus ascends back up into heaven. And the angel said, he's coming back the same way he left someday. And then you see the church get started a few verses later. It says, they all join constantly together in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And again, we know James was one, his brother was one of the, was like the head elder in the church at Jerusalem and wrote one of the books of the Bible. It took 34 years to see what highly favored meant. And it may take a while for you to understand it, but you are not inadequate. If God calls you, it's not about you. It's not about your history. It's not about your ability. It's about your calling. My friend Ben Kacharis, who preaches in Baltimore area, and I were talking about it as I was working on this this week, and he said something I thought was really, really good. He said, I always wondered if when Jesus was in the garden, and, and, and he's having his own doubts. God, do I have to drink this cup? Do I have to go to the cross? Yet not my will, but thine be done. And said, I wonder if it was easier for Jesus to say that at that point, because he'd heard his mom say it all of her life. I mean, basically what Jesus says in the garden is, may it be to me as you have spoken. Where do you think he learned it? Let's pray. Father, may it be to me as you have spoken. I look back on my journey and I realize it's nothing to do with my history or my ability. It's about your call. And as I look forward, I know the same thing is going to happen. And I pray for all of us right now that in our hearts, we will be able to say, may it be to me as you have spoken. Whatever it is you want from me, even if I don't believe I'm highly favored, I am because of your grace. Use me however you want to. I will follow you. (laughs) I don't need an explanation anything farther than I have come from God. I don't need anything other than no word from God will ever fail. I'm gonna claim that promise. It's in Jesus' name.